I'm Carlo Pignataro, and you are listening to a new episode of Lux and Friends. The topic of today's podcast is NFTs, non-fungible tokens. Whether you think they are just a JPEG file people exchange for millions of dollars, or the next generation of contracts, whether you think they are the ultimate cultural phenomenon, a great investment, or just a scam, you can't ignore NFTs anymore, for they are changing the very idea of digital property. To set the record straight and help you, dear listener, understand NFTs well, I've interviewed Q. Harrison Terry, a former digital art dealer, an entrepreneur, an advisor to billionaire and crypto enthusiast, Mark Cuban. Q. Harrison is also the co-author of the book, The NFT Handbook. And if you listen carefully to the conversation that follows, you'll know more about NFTs than pretty much everyone you know. Welcome to the show, Q. Harrison. Yo, what's up? What's up? It's a pleasure to meet you. Finally, you're a very busy man, and uh, uh, and I understand why NFTs, uh, which is the topic of your latest book, uh, are one of the hottest topics. Here we go. Here we go. The NFT handbook, and we'll talk about it. Uh, but before we delve into the book, uh, I wanted to ask you, Q. Harrison, uh, NFTs are making the headlines every other day or even every day. Uh, many people in many industries, including the luxury industry, uh, talk about them uh, as the next big thing. And yet, uh, when I talk to people directly or at conferences, uh, I sense that uh, they, don't, they don't really understand the nature of NFTs, uh, the technology behind them, and uh, most importantly, the problem that they actually solve. Shall we set uh, the record straight for good? What are yeah, let's, NFTs? Let's get to it. Let's get to it. So I like to think of NFTs as a way to create digital scarcity. Uh, and, you know, the literal name non-fungible token is something that can get really confusing. So, like, let's first start off with, like, what is an NFT from a fungible versus non-fungible standpoint? Okay. And we're on the podcast today. If I take a screenshot and send it to you and you take a screenshot and send it to me, our screenshots are pretty equal. Our screens are going to see the same thing. You know, if I've captured it, you've captured it. Not much is going to change. Now, let's say I take the screenshot that we just took and I sign it and I add like, you know, some some computer graphics to it and I make a digital art masterpiece and I turn that into an NFT. There's only one of those that exists. And that has value because, you know, I signed it and it came from me. And so I've thus created a digital collectible. And if we had done this before a few years ago, what would have happened is you could have sold it online, right? For sure. But if someone, once you put it online, someone could right click, save it, and they could send it to all their friends and print it. And effectively, there's no real true owner and there's no provenance. What NFTs have created is a way for us to verify you know, who is the real owner? Someone might have a, a picture of your uh, Board Ape Yacht Club NFT, but only the wallet owner can actually access the community and, you know, actually utilize that Board Ape Yacht uh, or that, that Board Ape Yacht Club NFT for commercial or whatever purposes they want. And so there's a lot that gets into it, but I just like to think of NFTs as a way to create digital scarcity and or digital collectibles. So if I understand you well, it's the collectible part of it uh, that, uh, that makes NFT so happening. 
Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, like any the, the collectibles, I feel like that's part of it, but there's also the communities that are being formed, right? So what is making it so big right now is the fact that for the first time ever, you can hop into a, a online you know, forum, find a few friends, and then you all can manifest these digital collectibles together. It's no different than video games, really. Like video games have been doing this for you know, the last 10, 20 years. Like, you know, people go on Fortnite to play uh, their battle royale game, but they get excited for new skins and avatar drops, right? And, and the thing about those is they're fungible. Like if I buy a Travis Scott you know, skin or a Darth Vader skin or a, you know, a Marvel Avengers skin and you have one, my skin is no different than yours. With NFTs, that changes a bit because each item ideally is a one of one unique NFT. I get you. Um, you showed me your book before and you didn't have to because I read it from <laughs> cover uh, to cover. But um, uh, what has prompted you? to write a book as a co-author uh, on NFTs, a detailed book in which you go into the details of the technicalities and uh, the commercial aspect of those. Why did you do that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I took some time back in 2015 and me and a couple of my friends, we started one of the first digital art marketplaces on the blockchain called 23Vivi. And this was on the Bitcoin blockchain. So we were trying to sell digital art Uh, way back when in 2015. And it, we learned a lot of things through that process. Uh, we ended up, you know, shutting that company down um, a few years after the fact, just because the appetite for digital art was nowhere near what it is today in 2021. And so after returning money to our investors, uh, we had all this knowledge and we never really knew what to do with it. And then the opportunity uh, came forth in 2021 where, you know, everyone wanted to buy digital art. And I kept getting a lot of calls. They were like, hey, this looks like 23Vivi. Hey, this looks like Vivi. Hey, this looks like Vivi. And then eventually, you know, I was just like, oh, okay, this is very similar. Like most people probably aren't going to understand, you know, the value of an NFT today. And, you know, I can probably teach you how to sell and buy and, you know, collect or I mean, I guess I could tell, tell you how to sell and buy and create NFTs. And, That's what I set out to do with Matt, my uh, co-author. And, you know, the cool thing about Matt is he's an attorney. So when you think about an NFT and we get past the collectibles, and we start to talk about the smart contracts that are beneath NFTs. Uh, a, a smart contract is a contract, right? Yeah. And a contract, ideally, like you don't want to just write your own contracts. You'd like to have a, a so, so ideally some type of attorney uh, looking at it and helping you draft that said contract. So It was cool to have a legal perspective on this. Yes, I understand that. And I appreciate the legal aspect of NFTs. But there's a question that keeps popping in my mind. Okay, so this is a contract. And the contract is visible on the blockchain. And everybody can see where the transaction starts and where the transaction is going. But what makes uh, uh, contracts valuable is that we have centralized powers to enforce them be it mm -hmm. the state, uh, the police, uh, I mean, the legal system. Who does enforce uh, a smart contract? Well, I mean, there's different, there's a lot of different answers to this question. I think the, the, the easiest answer is, you know, the blockchain is, is, is the, the transparency of the blockchain is what allows for self-governance. And I think like when you think about decentralized, the decentralization element of, of 
just what Web3 represents. You have this notion that like in a perfect world, uh, there is no one authority or figure that like says you're a bad actor, get off the chain. It's actually the entire community. Right. And so uh, today we're still figuring that out. You have, you know, protocols and, and, and definitely entities that are you know, basically enforcing their ideas on the uh, on some of the smart contracts. I mean, look at what Open Sieges did with, uh, you know, airdropped NFTs. They said, hey, anybody that's not verified, we're going to hide the, the NFTs that have been dropped to people because there's a lot of spam. You know, you're enforcing your your beliefs on said wallets. Not every marketplace is going to operate like that. But, you know, we when you have a layer of transparency, transparency that is, is on the platform, there are going to be people and tools and services that are created to enforce and um, create unique experiences that are built for specific use cases. And I, I feel like, you know, it's super early, but, you know, you, if you buy Ethereum through Coinbase, they set the, 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 the limit as how, of how much Ethereum you can buy at a, at a set time based on, you know, your account type. I think that like there are the platforms that you utilize to get into Web3 that are going to be probably the biggest proponents uh, of, of, of basically enforcing and enacting on certain contracts. I mean, even looking at MetaMask and, you know, the things that they did during the, the Russia-Ukraine situation, you know, they got a little bit of pushback, but at the same time, you know, it's it's it's, it's in their power to, to do that because it's their platform. So, Web3, we're working towards a world where we really do have the best answer for that question. But right now, you know, the case study hasn't been written. And it's early. I agree with you. You mentioned before digital arts. And I learned a lot from your book because, in fact, when NFTs like uh, Beeple's Everyday sold for 69 million, not to mention uh, Parks uh, by the merged, uh, merged by the by Parks uh, for 90 plus million, I mean, it caught many people by surprise. Uh, sure. But in fact, uh, digital art has been around for much longer than that. It's not an overnight right. success, isn't it? No. Digital art's been around for a long time. And because we are in this space where people finally have provenance, right? Like with the NFTs and the ability to create smart contracts with royalties and they have some element where they can be perpetual. All that stuff's exciting and it it incentivizes an artist to now create digitally because beforehand, you know, you get fought by the collector because they're going to say, if I make a digital frame with, you know, a wonderful digital masterpiece on it, you know, the first thing the collector is going to do or the buyer is going to do is they're going to say, hey, how long is this supported? Is there a warranty? If the screen goes black, can I get my art back? You know, with NFTs, you don't have to worry about that. And so I think that's the cool thing about it. And and that's why you're starting to see an uptick in, in digital art interest because now we finally have the format for it to really uh, reach the masses in the same way that like when we had you know we went from the the lp or you know the the big record vinyl uh players to the uh from vinyl to like basically cassettes and then from cassettes to cds and then from cds to mp3s the at each generation the accessibility to the format of music uh, change. So music went from being something that 
you could play at your home on a record player, something you could take anywhere with you, you could literally walk around. And then from there, you know, now it's something that you can stream to any device that you own in your home car or even TV. Yeah, that, that's true and very convenient. Uh, although I do miss those days when I would go and buy records and open them and smell them and look at the various, <laughs> you know, pieces of information in it. But certainly. So, uh, uh, Q, we spoke about uh, collectibles, digital art. You started touching on music. What are the other use cases where you see NFTs can uh, uh, grow and become more interesting? I think NFTs right now have the ability to be utilized in, very, in, in many different facets, right? So you're seeing the, 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 the POAPs or proof of attendance protocols. And that's kind of cool because like you could do a live podcast show and all the people that came to the live show, you could give them an NFT or a POAP NFT. And now there's like this, this proof that I attended the live show. And you could then say you can exchange these, these PO apps for an exclusive gift from our, our sponsor. And you know, that's a that's a pretty tried and true method that like we've seen it work, the PO apps. Uh, we haven't really seen it be adopted by you know a mainstream podcaster. But if you were to start doing that now, you're creating a whole new market, a whole new culture of like how NFTs could be consumed. And uh, that's just one example. Like if I worked in a business or I had a business, you know, and I had like in the re remote world where everything's on Zoom, one thing that I've seen is, you know, people don't show up to meetings on time, right? Like everybody's cool with being five minutes late. You know, the funny thing about it is it's okay for one meeting, but when you start to do 10 meetings, you know, five times 10 is 50 minutes you lost that in, in a day. So if I had a company, I probably would incentivize uh, my uh, team by saying whoever gets to the meeting first and logs it, they get to get the NFT from the meeting. And I would create like NFTs of the internal meeting notes, like, right? So there's like, we already have the digital document, like just make an NFT of that or the agenda. And then the way you create value is there's already a community. Your workplace is a community. You're like, you know, those are people that you talk to that you're acquainted with. And then from there, uh, you can just set a sign value to set NFT. So you can say if you have the meeting notes, uh, if you let's say you, you, you've been first, you know, five times in a row, you've got five of these meeting NFTs, five meeting note NFTs can be traded for, let's just say, 500 bucks. But you have to have five. Well, now you've got a, a game that is happening within your own uh, workplace on people showing up to meetings on time. And you did it all with NFTs and you changed the culture. And you're like, Q, that sounds stupid. It sounds crazy. It's like if I talk to you uh, in 2010 and said that you're going to text your employees and you're going to like communicate like in an like AOL instant messenger, you would have laughed at me and said, that makes no sense. Emails forever the wave. It's, it's, it's grailed. You know, that's like that's the gold standard. And then, you know, three years later, an app called Slack comes along and NASA uses it. And then the, the, the world is like, oh, Slack is the thing. And so now every company has Slack or Microsoft Teams or, you know, like Workplace or something. And it's crazy. Like Slack got acquired by Salesforce. So that's how, how, how instrumental it was. Now is the time to go ahead and, and, and hop into the whole bucket of NFTs and say, where can I apply it? 
to, you know, my daily life. And, you know, I could literally do this all day with you. Like you said, like, hey, let's just come up with utilities or use cases for NFTs. Those are just two that come to mind that aren't necessarily digital art based, but like would work probably pretty successfully. You know that the title of this podcast is Lux and Friends, where Lux stands obviously for luxury, which is, in the, which is the industry I come from. And many listeners uh, do work in the luxury industry. Since some of them may not be overly familiar with, uh, with NFTs, can anybody mind one? Yeah, if you have a crypto wallet, you can mint an NFT. So... The first step that I've found that has been super helpful in getting people into the world of NFTs is helping them understand what a crypto wallet is and like the safe practices and record keeping for crypto wallets and how to keep them secure, how to like transact safely on the Internet. And in our experience, just in helping people do those things properly, uh, we've seen tremendous uptick in, in people abilities to go and just mint NFTs and buy NFTs and get uh, familiar with it. So the crypto wallet is your way in. Uh, I'm actually working on some stuff to, to make that easier. Are you watching what's going on in the luxury industry? Uh, every, yeah. every brand is uh, creating an NFT. Uh, there has been a, the first metaverse fashion week on Decentraland uh, last week. Uh, Dolce & Gabbana are jumping on it. So are many other brands. What's your take? What are you seeing happening there? Hats off to Philip Klein. I mm. think Philip Klein gets the, the, the Centraland Award, right? Like they really, really thought that through. They, they even are now accepting crypto in their stores, which is just like crazy, right? So I, I think the metaverse is definitely the next evolution. If you read the book, you know, I, that's how I end the book. And uh, I'm happy to let you know that we have a new book coming out in May. It's called The Metaverse Handbook. And it will pick up where the NFT handbook left off. So I'll, I'll be jumping into, you know, what is a metaverse and, and, and breaking down some of the examples that you you've just mentioned here on, on the podcast. But the way I see the metaverse is if you have a bunch of digital goods and collectibles, you're going to need a place for them to, to, to exist and, and, and stay. And the metaverse gives you these capsules to put your NFTs in. And, and it also is a great marketing moment for a company or a brand, because if you make an NFT, unless you have a, an insular community, the, nobody really cares, right? Like, I mean, if you're not in the, the Board Ape Yacht Club and you're not a part of the, 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 the apes, do you does, nobody's life really changes outside of the people in the club. And it's kind of funny. Like, it's like the same thing is true for any other club you think about, right? Like if you're into, uh, a country club and like, you know, you're golfing with your buddies, like it, the four of you that have the tea time that are playing, whether you're competing or you're just playing by yourselves, uh, your lives change because you're in the country club and maybe your the, 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 your family, like the, the immediate, so your immediate family members lives change, but like the rest of the world doesn't really care. Like if you have a, a membership to Soho house, it doesn't really matter for the rest of the world. It just matters for you and the associates at Soho house. And so with NFTs, that's still true because the community is the people that value the digital collectible. When you have a metaverse, what you do is you kind of separate that community. You say, hey, that community is always welcome. You can hang out here. You own some of the stuff that we might display. But the average person can come and learn more about what we are, what our beliefs are, how we 
look at, you know, said NFTs and, and Web3 and the metaverse. And it's a good way to like just showcase who you are. And I think the, the way to think about it, if you don't know anything about crypto or Web3 is, you know, 15 years ago, you would be dying to have a website. You'd be like, yeah, we need a website. We need a website. This internet thing's going to be huge. I think looking at it now, if you're a brand, a company, a service, a product, you should be saying we need a metaverse and figuring out what metaverse you need. So the the metaverse handbook, it's coming out soon. And I'm going to talk a little bit more in depth on the things I just mentioned in that book. It, very, very interesting. Uh, let me ask you one final question. Maybe I shouldn't ask it because I see your excitement about the subjects and I share the same. And I'm also lucky that I live in a very crypto friendly country, the United Arab Emirates. I'm in Dubai, which is great. And I share the same excitement. But let me ask you this final question. Do you think we are presently experiencing a disruptive or a deceptive growth of NFTs? That's a great question. I think it's both. I think there's, there's, there's a little bit of the, there's some Decepticons out there. So I like that, that term Decepticon, like from Transformers where people are being deceptive, but they also are conning people out of their money. So that's, that's, uh, that's very much happening. And then there's also a lot of disruption happening. When you look at what people did with his everydays or even what Pac did, I mean, they're dethroning the world's most expensive living artists. And if you have any experience or know anything about the fine art world and traditional art, uh, that's a big, 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 big deal, right? Like, you know, if you would have, if I would have given you a ticket two years ago and said, you know, who's going to sell for more money, Damien Hurst or a no-name guy from Appleton, Wisconsin, you probably would go with Damien Hurst all day, every day. He's got the track record. If I said Jeff Coons or uh, an unnamed artist named Pac, you probably would have went with Jeff Coons. In, in the history, it's just not, it's not going that way. So I think that that is very disruptive and it's exciting to see the work that, you know, Mike Winkleman and, uh, you know, other, many others that have followed suit are doing. And I think where we will continuously go is we'll see some of these innovators that have been working in the shadows and just thinking about some of these technologies continue to change the world as we know it um, with their ideas. And the the best thing that's happened now is everyone has a platform because of web two and everyone now has the ability to like publish something and share something with the world. Uh, you now have this world of web three where people can now own the things oh. that they, they, they publish or they, they share and they promote. So it's just it's going to be disruptive on that front, but we're we're very much in the first inning, and it's exciting. I agree with you, Q Harrison. Thank you for being on Lux and Friends. Thank you for having me. I appreciated it very much. 